morning, Campbell Road. So good to be here. I hope you will grab your Bible, and I hope you will meet me in my Bible in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 is where our lesson will be from this morning. We are continuing to walk through our February special. We are walking through our February special in this month of February, and we have decided to focus our attention on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we've titled our theme, Walking Through Ephesians. We've already covered chapter 1 and chapter 2. In chapter 1, we were walking with our eyes open to all the blessings that Christ has blessed us with. And in chapter 2, we were walking in grace and noticing how that should change us when we walk in grace. And this morning, we're going to be walking through chapter 3. We're going to be walking out the mystery. Walking out the mystery. I'd be willing to bet that most of us, if not all of us, this morning came here in some kind of vehicle, some kind of car. Maybe it was a sedan, or maybe it was a truck, or maybe, if you're really lucky, a minivan. I haven't got mine yet, but give me time. But we all, we all came in a vehicle. Uh, but I'd also be willing to bet that most of us don't fully understand how that vehicle works. We, we probably don't know exactly how the engine works and all the parts that go into that engine and how that interacts with the drivetrain. And if our car was taken apart, even if we had the best tools in the world, we probably couldn't put it back together again. So, so we don't fully understand the car, but we know it works. Like, like we know we're going to go take the key and we're going to turn it and it's going to turn on and we're going to put it into gear and it's going to go forward, put it in reverse, it's going to go backwards. Even though we don't fully understand it, we, we know that the car works. So in that way, we all kind of drove out the mystery this morning. When you look at the beginning of chapter 3, beginning of verse 1, Paul is talking about this mystery that he's been revealing. Notice starting in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Remember, when we see that word revelation, you should be thinking an uncovering, a, a making known, something that wasn't known that now can be known. And Paul says that's what he's been doing for the last two chapters with this mystery. Now, when we think mystery, most of us probably have this idea of, even when I can see it, even when it's revealed to me, even if I have it in my hands, I can't fully know it. I can't really know it because it's mysterious. But that's not Paul's point. Actually, Paul's point is that we can know this mystery. It was once hidden, but now we can know it. He's going to say just that in chapter 3. Things that were not known beforehand now have been revealed. But, but it's, a, it's a mystery. How is it a mystery? I think the idea of Paul's mystery is because even though we can know something, we don't always fully understand God's mystery. And that leads us to a question. Why? Why has God worked in mysterious ways? Why has God had things that were hidden before but now revealed? Why has God worked in a mystery? Why did God put two great trees in the garden instead of one? Why did God call a random pagan out of Ur of the Chaldees to make his promises to why did God take his nation that was destined for greatness and make them slaves and then use a guy that didn't even want to save them to bring them out of Egypt and then take that nation right into the desert where there's no water or food? Why did God bring about the conquest by telling his people to go on a walk instead of making a stand? Why did God stop talking for 400 years through his prophets? Why did God come in the flesh 
and bring his Messiah through a sketchy at best family tree and have him be born and die in a lowly way? And why did he have that message given through a bunch of fishermen? And why did he have them write it down so we can know it? We know these things are true. We know them to be true, but I think sometimes we have trouble maybe wrapping our minds all the way around that and fully understanding that. And I don't think, I don't think we always like that, not knowing all the ins and outs of things. And so that, that brings us to a response. How are we going to respond to the mystery? Because while we can know something, we also need to be willing to accept it. I want you to notice how Paul accepted this. He begins in the first half of chapter 3, fleshing out more of this mystery, and then he goes into another prayer in verse 14. Notice what he says. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Paul has seen this mystery revealed, and how does he respond? He hits his knees in reverence to God. Unlike many of his fellow Jews, when they heard of the mystery, they rebelled against it. They pushed back against the mystery, but not Paul. He hits his knees in acceptance. And I think what Paul is going to be doing as we walk through chapter 3 is subtly giving us this same challenge. What are we going to do with God's mystery that's been revealed? Are we going to accept it? Or are we going to rebel against it? Are we going to just, just ignore it? Or maybe, I think there's maybe a, a third option that maybe we can be more in danger of making, and that's putting God in a box. When we don't fully understand how God has worked and how he continues to work, sometimes we want to bring God down, and we want to put him in our little box. And we want to redefine God and redefine his plan so it makes more sense to us. But that doesn't work. God is bigger than our box. God is bigger than our definitions. And Paul is trying to show us that we can't put God in a box. We don't put the mystery in a box. We should be walking out the mystery. So let's look at some ways in chapter 3 that Paul shows us that God is bigger. There is one great mystery in chapter 3, but I think we're going to find that there's actually several little mysteries throughout chapter 3. Notice first in verse 1. God is bigger than our circumstances. Read verse 1 again with me. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul says that he is a prisoner. Now, he uses that reference to talk about his submission to Christ, how he's a servant of Christ. But he's also bringing their minds back to the fact that he is physically in prison when he's writing this letter. Paul is writing the letter to the Ephesians from a prison cell. And so he says, I am a prisoner of Christ. But notice what he says at the end of this little section in verse 13. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The reason why Paul is in prison is because of his work on behalf of the Gentiles. But, but it's Paul that's saying, don't worry about me. I'm the one in prison, but I want to encourage you. And even though I'm in prison on your behalf, it's to your glory. Paul didn't get caught up on his own circumstances. Paul realized what he was doing as a minister for the Lord was bigger than his circumstances. Paul had every reason to be angry about his situation. It seems like all that Paul did was take a stand and be firm throughout his life. It's Peter that seems to shrink back at times, and John Mark on one of the mission trips, and even Barnabas at times seems to take a step back, but not Paul. Paul stands his ground throughout in the narrative. What a mystery that it's him that ends up in the prison cell because of his work, but he doesn't let that cloud his vision. He sees past his circumstances. He doesn't complain. He doesn't put God in a box and start to question him, why me? This doesn't make sense. Paul is walking out the mystery. 
how easy is it for us at times to look at our circumstances and be blinded by what's right in front of us to start thinking, this doesn't make sense to me. I know the promises God has made. I know He is faithful. I know He loves me, but this circumstance right in front of me just doesn't make sense. We want to put them in our box. But Paul is trying to encourage us, even in the direst of circumstances, to walk out the mystery. Also notice how God is bigger than our plans. Read with me in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's stop there for a second. That is the great mystery of Ephesians, and that is the great mystery of chapter 3, that Gentiles are now becoming God's people. At one time, it was only the Jewish nation that could come to Yahweh, but now, through Christ, in Christ, and through Paul's gospel, all people, Jew and Gentile, can come to Yahweh, can come to their God. That's the great mystery of chapter 3. Here's the thing, though. This was known. This was known. This is all over our Old Testament. This is all over the Hebrew Bible. It starts all the way back in the garden. Genesis 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Notice, the Messianic prophecy is that all the offspring of Eve, all those that would come to God, is going to be separated for those of Satan. It's, it's not, you know, those that are kind of Jew, but maybe not Gentile, this nation, but not that nation. Even in the garden, the idea was that all people that would come to God. Notice the, the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This blessing was for the whole world, for all families. Notice later on in Amos, Amos 9, beginning in verse 11. And that day I will raise the booth of David, the tent of David, the temple, that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Amos is saying we're going to rebuild God's house, but we're going to have to build it back bigger because it's not just Israel that's coming in. Even Edom, the enemies of Israel, are going to be brought in. These Gentiles are going to be brought in as well. One more in Isaiah 49, verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah says it's not enough for God just to have Israel. God wants all people. He wants all nations. And this was all over the scripture. So why does Paul call it a mystery? I think it's because while they knew that other nations would be touched, Gentiles would be brought in, they didn't know how it was going to happen. They thought that other people should come in and, and be Jewish, become physical Israel in order to get into the promise. Honestly, they had some good reason to think that. If we're being honest, I mean, through Abraham, that kind of sounds like becoming Abraham, in David's house, who goes in David's house? Israelites. We didn't look at it, but Zechariah will say, in the Lord's day, that all the nations are going to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals. Who celebrates the festivals? Israelites. So, so they had some reasons to think that it was going to be physical Israel, but Paul's saying that's, that's the mystery. It was hidden, but now it's revealed. It's in Christ and through the gospel, not in physical Israel through the law. That's the great mystery of chapter 3, that all people can be God's people in Christ. 
But I also want you to notice another mystery that comes just in the next verse, in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Here Paul says that he's a minister for God. At the very beginning of the letter, in chapter 1, verse 1, he calls himself an apostle. So Paul is God's minister, and Paul is God's apostle. Now you might be thinking, that doesn't seem so mysterious to me. Because maybe most of us were introduced to Paul by just reading all that he wrote in the New Testament. I mean, Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. Paul was the guy that couldn't stop writing about Jesus. Why is it mysterious that he's an apostle? He's God's minister. Because most people during Paul's day were not introduced to Paul by his writings. They were introduced to Paul, the Jew, that was zealous for his people, that was learning at the feet of Gamaliel, that was going to be maybe the next great teacher of Israel like Nicodemus, but he wasn't content with that. No, he was so zealous for his people that he started to persecute those that he thought were enemies, the Christians. We see in Acts 7 that while Stephen is being stoned, that the men lay their garments down at Paul's feet, and he's approving of his stoning. It might have been the first stoning he ever saw. It wasn't that common in Jerusalem at the time. But, but did that make Paul shrink back? Did that make him change his mind? No, when he saw Stephen bleeding out in the desert, that just kindled his fire. Luke says for us in Acts 7, that day, that day, a great persecution arose against the church. Paul was just fine having blood on his hands. Paul was just fine killing Christians and tearing families apart. That's God's apostle. That's God's minister. Who would have done it that way? Who would have done it this way? Who would have brought in Gentiles the way that God brought in the Gentiles? Who would have picked a man to be his tool like Paul? God is bigger than our plans. But even sometimes today I think we can struggle with this, of being confused about who God is going to use. Have you heard what this person did 10 years ago? Did you know where they were? Do you know what they did? They were in prison 10 years ago. And now they're a deacon? Now they're being used in the church? They're sitting on the same pew? Maybe they were in their worst place 10 years ago. But maybe God's plans are bigger than ours, and he's using them now. Or, or maybe it's those that, that are coming to the gospel. Maybe we're confused about people that seem kind of like outsiders to us, and we're not sure if they're, if they're ready to come to the gospel. Maybe we ask the question, I wonder why more people aren't responding to the gospel. Maybe, just maybe, the people that are ready to come to God aren't the people that look just like us and talk just like us and do the same things that we do. Maybe it's not the people in your office on the way to your desk, but the people on the street on your way to your car that are ready to receive the gospel. God's plans are bigger than our plans. Notice next that God is bigger than our sin. In the very next verse, verse 8, Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Maybe an even bigger mystery than how the Christians, how the people were going to accept Paul the apostle after he was killing their people, is how God was going to accept Paul after he was killing his people. God, God had struck down millions in the flood. God had struck down thousands in the Red Sea, countless in the conquest, many Jews in the exiles, even at the beginning of the church, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to God. They didn't have blood on their hands. They didn't kill anybody. But they were judged. 
But here's Paul. Here's Paul, who killed God's people. And God has grace. God is bigger than our sin. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've thought. But if God can save Paul, he can save you. You know it. You know it. But will you accept it? But even in that, even in that amazing truth, I think there's, there's still a trap for us. Because sometimes Paul isn't us. Sometimes Paul is somebody else. Sometimes it's not us having to forgive ourselves and accept that truth. Sometimes it's someone else that's doing wrong to us. And we have to accept that God can even forgive them. If God can forgive Paul, and God can accept Paul, we can accept others. I don't know how Stephen's family reacted when Paul came back to Jerusalem all those years later. But I do know how the church reacted. It wasn't easy, but God's family accepted back Paul. God is bigger than our sin. God's also just bigger than us. Read with me first in verse 16, kind of picking up in Paul's prayer here. It says that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being. God is bigger than us, and that means that we need God. We need God's power. We need God's strengthening. Paul says here that he wants our inner being, our inner man, to be strengthened. We all recognize that we need the outer man to be strengthened. We we'll look at Olympic athletes and see how they prepare for their event and how they work hours upon hours upon hours to be strengthened, to strengthen their physical body, to be ready. But Paul says here, I want your inner man to be strengthened, not, not your core strength, your moral strength, your spiritual strength, who you are. I want your inner man to be strengthened. America and our culture has told us this amazing lie. They've done a wonderful job at it. That if you're struggling... All you need to do is pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and do it yourself. And if you don't have that mindset, you're just weak. Can I tell you that's like the most ungodly thought ever? (laughs) That's just the exact opposite of what this Bible teaches us. God wants us to see that we aren't strong enough on our own, that we need him, we need his power, that we can't do it alone. And so that makes us draw close to him. Paul says, I want you to be strengthened in his power in your inner being. Do you realize the power that the words on these pages have? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Maybe we're getting weak physically. Maybe we're getting older. Maybe we're breaking down. But Paul says we can be strengthened in our inner being. Notice what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 4, verse 14. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I've had some people in conversation essentially say that they were concerned for me. They were concerned that I wasn't listening to what they might call the, the soft whisper of the spirit. They were concerned that I was just relying on my power, on my help from words on a page, from inanimate things, from cold, dead things. That's not how the Hebrew writer thought about it. God's word is active. 
and living and powerful, and it's able to supply you with what you need. We can't do it on our own, but God has supplied us, and we need his power. God is bigger than us, and also because God is bigger than us, we need to hit our knees. Notice again in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Paul, after revealing this mystery, hits his knees in prayer. So many of his fellow Jews didn't hit their knees. They, they, they didn't submit to Jesus. They said, no, I don't want this gospel, or I want to change this gospel somehow. But not Paul. Paul accepted the gospel because he realized it was something bigger than him. That God was bigger than just him. It wasn't all about him. His fellow Jews said, no, no, maybe we need to bring in some circumcision and some law, because really it's all about being a physical Israelite. It's all about being a Jew. It's all about us. But Paul realized it wasn't just about us. It wasn't just about them. It wasn't just about him. God is bigger than us. God is bigger. I also want you to notice, sorry, that God is bigger than our wisdom. God is bigger than our wisdom. In verse 20, such a familiar verse to us, a powerful verse. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. What an amazing verse. What a powerful verse. I have a question, though. Why did Paul say that? Why did Paul put that there? And maybe the greatest section, this first half of this letter to the Ephesians, the greatest section of the greatest letter ever written, why does Paul end essentially in that way? Is it just kind of this random outpouring of great God is? I think that's part of it. I think Paul is just overflowing with, with grace and thankfulness to God and saying how great he is, but I think there's a more practical side to this. I think Paul is recognizing, look, Ephesians, I just blew your mind in two chapters, two and a half chapters, with all these truths and this mystery that's been revealed and all the things that are found in Christ and how he's the head of the church and how now you've been, you were dead, but you've been risen up with Christ and how now all people are being built into this temple all people, Jew and Gentile, people that used to hate each other, can now have unity. Not just be in the same building, not just eat at the same table, they can be one. And I can imagine that he, he expected some of those listening to think, okay, I know this is true, Paul. I know that's the mystery that's been revealed. I know it's true. But do I really have enough to live it out? I mean, can this really happen? I know it should be this way, but can it be this way? Is, is what Christ did on the cross, is that event alone enough? Is what Christ did enough? Or do we need something else? I think Paul is saying, no. No, you don't need something else. And yes, Christ is enough because God is able to do more than you even ask or more than you think. Yes, you are equipped to live out this plan Yes, God's wisdom is bigger than yours. God can work his plan his way. Do you believe in Ephesians? And I think we have that same question to us today. Do we believe that God's wisdom is bigger than our wisdom? Do we believe that God can work out his plan his way? Or do we think we need something else? I'm going to cheat just a little bit. I'm going I'm to sneak into chapter 4 just for a second. Jordan will have to uh, forgive me. Uh, chapter 4, I want you to look at chapter 4, just verse 11. I want you to notice how God equipped 
his church for the work of its ministry. When we might ask the, the question, what's the best way to evangelize? How did God equip his church? Verse 11. And he gave doctors and dentists and chefs and social workers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's not what it says. It says that he gave apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Do you notice what they all have in common? They're all teaching God's word. So when we ask the question of what's, what's the best way to evangelize? What's the best way to bring people to the gospel? Does it really still work just to make relationships with people and to point them to an ancient text? Or is there a better way? Maybe there's avenues that we aren't tapping into. Maybe we need more social events or more entertainment. Or maybe we just need to, to fix people's physical needs. Maybe we need to hire out a dentist for the day and give free dental care. Or, or maybe we need to go pick up trash in the park or go to an animal shelter. Maybe that's the best way to bring people to the gospel. That's really what we're missing. Paul says, no. No, we've been equipped with the teaching of God's word. So the question for us is, do we believe it? Or do we think we need something more? Do we think we need something different? Look, I, I've missed it before. I've missed it. I, I've been excited about evangelism and spreading the gospel, and I've looked at the numbers and the tactics and the right way to make all the material and the best way to present things, and I've worked hours and hours on these things. But you know what I forgot to do sometimes in all of that? To pray about it. Would have been a waste of time for me to take an hour out of that time and to just pour my heart out to God, asking him to help me in this work. God's ways work. His plans work. His wisdom is bigger than our wisdom. I also want you to notice that God is bigger than our life. The very ending of chapter 3, the end of this prayer, Paul says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, God is going to be glorified. May he be glorified throughout all generations, throughout all peoples, throughout all lifetimes. But he doesn't stop there. He says, forever and ever. Not just throughout all people's lifetimes, throughout eternity. May God be glorified. And how is that happening? He says, in Christ, and in the church, we have a part in that. We have a part in glorifying God. We, we have a part in sharing with other people something that's going to make ripples down through generations. If you start to think at times that your life isn't very significant, that it's not all that important, that you're just one out of a billion, you're forgetting that you're in Christ. You're forgetting that you're a part of his church. What we do, how we live, how we walk, who we teach, our kids, our families, our neighbors, our coworkers, can plant seeds that affects generations on down the line, years after us. And we can be a part of this where we're glorifying God for generations, forever and ever. In Christ, with God, our life is bigger than just our life. What a fitting way to end this prayer. And what a fitting way to end this section of chapter 3 
We're talking about all the things we have in Christ and what he's done with us and the place we have in that plan. But I want to leave you just very quickly with three points about how Paul helps us to walk out this, ministry, this mystery. Excuse me. How Paul helps us to walk out the mystery. Notice first in verse 4, Paul tells us to read. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul says, look, this mystery was hidden before. It, it, it was kind of touched on by prophets and by those that were inspired. But now, now you can just look at what I wrote. You can just read this, and then you can perceive my insight into this mystery of Christ. God's word is powerful, and God's word instructs us and gives us wisdom. Paul says, just read and you can be equipped to know the mystery. We know the passage, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God has supplied us. God has supplied us of how to know the mystery. And it's in these words in these words. This Bible means something, and it does something for you. Paul says, just read. Read. And you can perceive this mystery. Notice also in verse 17, he tells us to tidy up. Uh, this is kind of hitting on in the middle of his thought when he's talking about strengthening the inner man, the inner being. And then he says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul says, it's not just enough to know <laughs> It's not just enough to know. It's not just enough to read. That's where it starts, and you can perceive this mystery, but that should do something to you. That should change you. Paul says, I want your hearts to be a place where Christ can dwell. It's like a, the picture of a house. Like, I want your heart to be a house that Christ can come and make his home in. But Christ doesn't make his home in, you know, dirty old 22-year-old apartments with stains on the carpet and pizza and clothes everywhere. Talking about the heart, not your physical apartment, don't worry. It, no, it, God and Christ dwell in holy places. We need to make our heart a place where Christ feels at home, where he's comfortable, where he can work through us. Paul says that's happening by faith. That's happening by this inner strengthening of the inner man. When we read these words, it does something to us. It causes us to trust. It causes us to see who Christ is. It causes us to change who we are. We don't just come to the words and stay the same. It changes us, and it changes our heart into a place where Christ can live. He also says, we need to look up. Again, verse 20, let's read it again. That him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. God is more powerful than we can even imagine. And so when we walk out this mystery when we look to his word and read and change our hearts, we do this, as he said, by faith. Because God is greater than us and he has the power that we need. God is the one that motivates us and strengthens us. And he's bigger than us. And so we look up to him. That's what we put our faith in. Not what we can do on our own. What God can do. God has done amazing things. He has saved people that we never would have expected would have been saved. God has brought about his amazing plan 
that no one would have ever guessed would have been the plan. God used people, God used nations, God used places, God used churches. He used local groups just like this to bring about plans because he can do more than we even ask or we think. Do you believe it? Do you accept it? Or are we going to look at the way God has laid out his plan, the way God is using people, and start questioning and start thinking, I'm going I'm to have to redefine God to understand him and put him in the box and wonder, is there another way? Is there a better way? Paul says no. God is able to do more than you ask or you think, and that's why we walk out mysteries. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.